Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. We interrupt this program to bring you a special bulletin. This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. Five. Check for sound. Four. It's showtime. Three. Let's two, go. One. Thanks to Rode Microphones and Harlan Hogan's VoiceOverEssentials.com, the home of the Portable Pro. This is the Pro Audio Suite podcast with Robert Marshall from Source Elements and Someone Audio Post Chicago. Darren Robbo Robertson from Voodoo Radio Imaging Sydney. From LA, George the Tech Whitten, the Tech to the VO Stars, and me, Andrew Peters, Voiceover Talent and Home Studio Guy. Welcome to another Pro Audio Suite. This week we have a very special guest. He started off being a hairy kraut rocker, and now he's got two Emmys under his belt. He's a composer, songwriter, audio post, audio engineer, producer, you name it, he pretty well does it. Would you welcome to our show, Lars Deutsch. Hi, thank you for pronouncing my name correctly. I appreciate that. <laughs> Hours of research on Andrew's behalf. <laughs> I think it's probably the German blood in my family that uh, yeah. comes out every now and then. But uh, <laughs> yes, great you could join us. I know you spend, well, most of your life these days in LA, but you sort of do go backwards and forwards to Germany. Is that correct? About 10 and a half months a year in LA. So I'm, I, you know, my, my base is LA and then I travel a little bit. Now, the amount of work that you do is quite extraordinary, but um, you've got like almost 250 compositions for film under your belt. It's over 300 now. I mean, over over 300 movies. Yeah, it's um, kind of with the the way a lot of the industry with film and advertising and all of this works, it's, it's basically, I'm lucky that I get projects from a number of different areas. And it's also... um, Composition was my first thing, and for the longest time, I neglected the the production and the audio part a little bit. But now, for a lot of projects, I've just done like the Stephen King project, where basically I'll, I'll do everything. I do the entire audio post. I write the music, I do the sound design, and do the dialogue editing, and then I do the final mix. And there's another project uh, coming, or like that I just delivered yesterday with Kiki Palmer, who was on Hustlers. Uh, it's an animation project where also same thing. I I did the entire audio part of it. And uh, because of that, there's a kind of like clients can come back for a number of reasons. You know, you need just music or you need just sound design or you need, I don't know, just ADR. Or Now, do you, do you prefer working like that where you do everything from start to finish or would you prefer to sort of, you know, focus on one key point of a film? For a shorter project, I don't mind it. I I don't. I really, really don't want to sound design a feature, especially not like a like effect heavy feature or something. Because I I feel that there are people who are better than me, and what I can do is basically I usually have the sound design as part of the storytelling, and for like two three minutes, or for an audio logo, I really enjoy it. 
but I, you know, I don't enjoy, uh, you know, doing cloth past 27 and every footstep and this and that as much as I do enjoy music or mixing. So for short projects, it's, it's totally fine. Um, I wouldn't volunteer to sound design a feature. No, I wouldn't either. How did you start in the industry? What was, um, what was your main focus in the beginning? So I, I studied classical composition in, in London, and then I, uh, I went back to Germany and I, I was a lecturer for a while. And I started to, uh, you know, like, like everybody else, approach student filmmakers and all these projects and through, like, basically send a million emails, called a lot of people. And then first couple of projects kept coming. And it, it, was, it was mainly, uh, it was just composition in the beginning. And as I said, I really underestimated just the, sheer importance of the sound aspect of it. I kind of was a little bit of a pen and paper guy. And then it kind of like, it, it over many years, it developed from there uh, where I did more and more things. And um, I was always interested in, in, in pop music and I played in bands, but for a while, my focus was, you know, just just film, film music. And then over the last couple of years, it's more more mixing. And I, you know, I write for a lot of artists and uh it's basically storytelling through sound. That's the my thing. Well, there's certainly um, certainly a lot of people or a lot of famous people who have been very influential on music that have come out of Germany. And I'm just wondering if these people have been an influence on you. And the obvious ones that come to mind because they're very much into soundscape will be Klaus Schulz for a kickoff um, and the band Neu. And everyone knows Kraftwerk, but they were hugely influential. Have they affected your work at all? Not at all. Um, and I, I, I also found out like when I was living here that uh, somebody of Einstürzende Neubauten kind of lives like three miles from my house in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> uh, but it's not, it's more, it was more a thing for me when I was um, 14, 15, 16. There were two cool German punk bands that I liked and the rest was all international stuff. So I was looking kind of out, outside of Germany and um, so I talked to a composer here who told me that he's jealous that he's not German and went into <laughs> how German is so directional and which makes you think like a composer even if you're not. And I thought that that's interesting. I don't know if that's that's true or if that's a thing, but I thought maybe that's my German influence. Yeah, maybe. I and mean, if you listen, I don't know whether you're aware of Klaus Schulz, but uh, he was certainly um, a pioneer in electronic music and that kind of composition where it was not just traditional melodies and whatever. It was actually a soundscape that he was creating. Um, do you, do you, are you aware of Klaus at all? Uh, no, I am not. Um, it probably, if I, if, I, if I would turn around and Google him now, I would put it together somewhere. But currently, I'm, yeah, I'm blanking on the name. So, I, I did with my composition degree, you know, you have Schoenberg, Stockhausen and that kind of stuff. So I, I, there is, there's some, some influence there. Um, but I don't know. It's my, I, I started off all, it was all rock and metal until I was 15 or 16. And then it went to, you know, I went to classical music. And so kind of, I don't know, I have a, I have a kind of weird journey. Which is probably good because um, if you've got a nice big pool to fish in, then you're going to pull all sorts of things out of the pond, I would have thought. Yeah, and I, that's one thing that the the composition degree, uh, and especially that there was so much modern music and extended playing techniques and all of these things, is so handy every day. Like if you produce a hip hop track now, you know you don't want to have too obvious of a chorus, too obvious of this, too obvious of that. But I still want to have a lift and movement and all of this, and I'm incorporating a lot of very 
non-pop techniques without anybody knowing or without you hearing it. And so I am, I'm, I'm very happy that I can pull from different ponds there. Yeah, I've, I've got pals who are, you know, musicians and the most brilliant and creative by far have the most unbelievable diverse music collections. You know, just the hugest bizarre from like hybrid noise bloom, noise yeah. stuff to speed metal to Keith Jarrett, you know, and everything yeah. in between. <laughs> I, I One of the problems with my work, of course, is that I don't get to listen uh, yeah. as much as uh, as other people do, which can be a problem. And my uh, a buddy of mine here, Irko, a sound engineer that I that I really like and that I like working with, um, he was, I, I emceed a clinic for him or something. And he, and he said like he had such a great year. He did like 200 something mixes. And then he turned down mixes for like three weeks because he felt like he, he his ears haven't been updated for a year. Wow. And Fascinating, I, I, yeah. Yeah, and I thought that was that, that was very clever, and you know, like have that self awareness, wow. discipline I, too. <laughs> yeah, the discipline, and and what I usually do is that I I listen project specific. So when um, so currently I'm working on an album uh, with somebody who's grown up here, but there is a Middle Eastern background. So I listen to a lot of Arab music and studied it, and then kind of try to find a way to incorporate that into a pop context without sounding like a cliche or like, a, you know, like when a Hollywood score is a Hollywood score, but they stick in one Chinese instrument. I tried not to do that. And so for, for, for a bit there, I'm opening up to this world. I incorporate these things and, and that's great. But here's what happens to me at every single party. Hey, have you heard this hip hop artist? Blah blah blah. It's super huge. Just sold two million albums, and I'm like, um, maybe. And then somebody else comes up and says, you know, the number one Norwegian death metal band. Blah blah blah. Have you heard of them? And then I'm going, uh, maybe. So that's really. It's like that's my party routine now. I feel like <laughs> constantly not aware of too many things. My Uber driver played uh, J Cole like. On, at some point, I liked the track. I, I couldn't place him. And I asked who that is. He explained it to me. And then he asked me what I did. And I told him that I'm a, I'm a music producer. And then I got a 20-minute lecture, like the entire ride home, how offensive it is that I call myself a music producer. So I went home and I, I listened to everything. So this will never happen again. <laughs> and how was his rating after the trip on Uber? I gave him a five-star rating. I said, great conversation, you know, because I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> So obviously you, you're, we're looking at you working in Germany. What um, made you head across to the US? So I, I, I struggle with German film and TV. Every now and then there's a great movie. Um, but overall, there is there's something, you know, like the it's just, you know, whatever is put on here is just on a different level. And I, I just like the visual storytelling here. And it's kind of, I it's, I guess, also, like if I'm honest, it's also ego. Let's just... <laughs> Let's just see it how it is. It's ego. Um, I, I, you know, I wanted to play with the big boys, and I also wanted to learn. And um, when I was in Germany, I, I, you know, I worked on a lot of projects and I tried a lot of things. And there was a, a beautiful PDF with a really interesting story and beautiful drawings uh, came across my desk. And and I kind of I, I worked on getting this project because I really loved the idea and the script and the drawings. So I was confirmed on the project, working for free. 
And I was happy to, to be on it uh, because it was creatively so beautiful and so meaningful as well. And at some point, I got a call from, from one of the two producers who also no credits, young kids, said that one of their moms uh, cornered a guy at a film festival and forced the script on this guy. And this guy is best friends with Joseph Fiennes. And oh, Joseph Fiennes is going to be on the project. And uh, talk about a voice, by the way. I, I, I was, you know, we recorded him in Berlin. This guy is amazing, amazing voice. Such a great actor, such a sweet guy as well. And so all of a sudden I went from very few credits to have an animation film with Joseph Fiennes and later Ian McKellen. And that thing was in the running for a short animation Oscar. The filmmakers didn't want to lobby for it, so it didn't get a nomination. I think it could have gotten one. But ultimately, that was such a cool project. It looked so good. I thought this is a good time to, to go here. And like, you know, because there's the sections in there that looked like a Pixar movie 10, 12 years ago. And I got to write expressive music. And so, you know, that was a good time to, um, with no money, no plan, come to LA and see how it goes. Wow, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> it, was also, it was also the first time this experience where, where you think like, you know, that there, there are just two kinds of people. We, we were, after the recording session was over, um, the filmmaker said, yeah, we really would like, there's, there's, a, there's um, William Shatner covering a pulp song, apparently. And... Um, so the filmmaker said to, to Joseph Fiennes, that's really like, that would be for that scene. We really want that. But like nobody's writing back to us or talking to us. So Joseph called Ray. Ray Fiennes called the singer of Pulp. And in like three minutes, there was a, there was a really interesting conference call going on in the studio. And I was wow. thinking, oh my goodness, this is how life should be. That's networking for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. got to love that. So you end up in Los Angeles, and then what happens from there? Where do you start networking and trying to get yourself into a studio? Or I cannot stress enough how incredibly painful the first three years were, and um, I worked on everything I could for free. I scored an eleven-part TV show for free, and um, I just basically brute forced it. That's really, I, there's no other way of saying it. You know, I just basically, I was nice to everybody else, but not to myself, really. And I worked really hard and it took a while until the first, you know, until you start getting recommended and like some, you have, you know, clients call you, but it it, it was not easy. And um, yeah, it, it was, uh, it's, uh, it, it's uh, my life is, while, you know, clients and things can be stressful and you never know about the next project. It's it's a little easier and a little nicer now. That sounds familiar because when I came to LA, I had nary a connection. I just started answering ads online yep. and started doing production sound mixing and, and much the same way. Uh, so yep. that's very familiar to me. And and one thing that is really um, musicians play in bands and there's this thing: if you're a nice guy, you show up on time and, and you play you play well you know, you get recommended. And if you are on set and you're a nice guy, you get recommended. And it, the, the problem as a composer really is that you don't have this interaction unless you force it or you create it. Right. And so in the beginning, I did you know, as many work samples as I, as I possibly could. Yeah, you're not there. You're not there physically, your energy. You're not sitting around talking at lunch and... 
You're just, yeah. yeah, you're you're disconnected in a way. Yes. Which is very similar to uh, if you're these days being a, someone who does voiceovers. <laughs> if you're working yeah. for your yeah. own studio, you, you have no human contact whatsoever. Yep. I was actually going to ask Lars if he would recommend that path of um, getting your foot in the door to anybody or do you think there's a better way now you've got your, a bit more experience under your belt? I Honestly, I'm, I'm a positive guy at the moment. There are so many things where I cannot honestly recommend anything to anybody music uh like it was pop music that got devalued first and so everybody ran to license licensing licensing has become uh very very corporate who owns the pipeline so the the licensing fees went down and there's so many music aggregator websites and and companies now that the the pressure like the price pressure is pretty pretty brutal and I, I like quality. I like to do custom stuff. I like to spend time on it. And what I see around me is a lot of people doing these, like the, even doing regular albums through production music. And so what I'm saying is, I think at the moment, it's, 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 it's one of those things where there's too few people controlling the, the pie, which affects everybody. So basically what I'm saying is, I think I wasn't 100% off with what I did, but even if you do the same thing, that I did, I don't know how well that would work out for you. It's it's a little bit of a tricky time, and I'm I am very lucky, and I'm surrounded here by people with big credits that are struggling. I'm a little lucky that it works and that I've got enough clients and and stuff. But I I would at this point um, be very careful with money, with investments, and things like this because a couple of years ago. You would be called for a commercial. There would be a budget for a commercial. You score the commercial, then you can plan with royalties, and all of these things would happen. Now there's like four or five companies around the planet that have monopolized all the commercials, which takes seventy percent of your royalties. So that means even if you make it to that point, the problem is that there's somebody else between you and the filmmaker that is holding their hand open and that is taking some of yours. And it seems that it goes through all the platforms and um, I, I talked to somebody at Netflix and we were talking about licensing and, and he said like even if you have the perfect track they will not listen to it because there's a deal they're not supposed to talk about with this uh, library and this publisher and then you talk to people at Red Bull and they have somebody and it's it's this the pipeline is kind of uh, a little more difficult to penetrate than it used to, and I am in a very lucky situation that I have access. I have people that listen to me. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So meaning if you start now, you need to be aware that this is a an uphill battle. Well, yours would be built mainly on relationships I'm gathering. You wouldn't go through one of those companies. You'd actually go directly to the producer or the director of the film, I'm guessing. The advantage of some of these companies is basically the as real pieces. And because you can say, oh, I scored this and that. And like, so it doesn't make any sense financially. And I, I have to say, I also find a lot of that a little offensive and unfair. 
but uh, you know, it is relevant for me to every now and then have a cool new thing to show. So I, I think about it almost as a marketing tool. Um, I am a lot less active seeking out these gigs and I am basically back to personal relationships and building those. And so, so for example, I, I have um, today, I, I've been writing a, a little show theme for a podcast and that is something like this is um, usually this wouldn't work with me and the budget and all of these things. But the the mother of the podcast host has been very nice to me and she's brought me a number of gigs and hired me on her advertising projects. And so I'm like, I'm very happy to return the favor. And that's somebody that doesn't nickel and dime that wants everybody around them to be happy. So I am very happy to return the favor. So I do that kind of stuff. I also have kind of made a career out of saving people's asses where <laughs> I get a lot of calls from people that have worked with me with projects in trouble where they said, oh, the director wanted to use their own so-and-so. And when it goes wrong, I get the call. So one of my things... The cleaner. It, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's also, it's, also it's, yeah. it's this thing of... And I guess here comes the, like, you know, maybe not having kids and a couple of other things come into this because my life is set up very very lean. So if I get a call on a Friday night, my wife is cool and relaxed. I can just jump on it and deliver something on Saturday. And, and that's one of the things that really works for me. I got a Red Bull documentary while I was traveling and I, I mixed 80% of it with headphones in a hotel room in Paris and <laughs> nice. that kind of stuff. Yeah. That right there alone is like a brand for you that you save asses, however you brand that. But yeah, would you say that you, at this point, you don't really have what you'd consider a niche? I think I have a couple of things, but they're not like, <clears throat> I'm not great at branding myself. And I am, you know, I don't mind being on a podcast. I love talking about music, but I'm also not the guy that like hires a camera team for himself. Right. And that obviously doesn't help. I think I have a couple of like niches. One of them is that basically, you know, I always deliver on time and I, I am the person who saves your ass. That's very often like with mixes and post stuff. And I've done, I've done forensics on a series of commercials where 12 commercials all had, they lost all the assets and every commercial I had to find a different solution to make the update so these could air again. <laughs> and this, this kind of thing, I, I am, I'm relentless and yeah. uh, in good and bad. So like for a client, that's awesome. The, the Grammys had this little songwriting competition, songcraft uh, competition 2019. And one of my songs was one of the winners. And mm. my career as a producer is not as far as my career as a composer, but the quality of my music uh, opens a lot of doors and licensing wise it works. And one of the things that is a niche for me and that more and more people pick up on is that a lot of the bigger names um, they work with a mountain of songs, meaning they work on a thousand projects and it's one in a thousand that works. One thing that I do, and that's the relentlessness as well, is I can kind of guarantee that every song is going to be good. It's just a different workflow, a different style. So there's a lot of people that come to me that, you know, they can only afford one song or they need this one song to really work. And I, you know, I co-write with people and I get songs that are halfway there, or projects halfway there, I get them over the finish line. And that's, yeah, that's another niche of mine. Wow. 
I mean, that's just amazing Swiss Army knife of skill sets that, um, yeah, that's, it's really fascinating because I, 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 I don't mean to keep shining the light back on me, but I feel like the way I do my business is by solving a ton of different people's problems in a ton yep. of different little ways. And I feel like that's similar. Um, and I, I know Robbo had something to say. I just want to say one more thing, and you can come back to this if you want to circle back to this as well. But how the heck do you price your time? How do you value that? And how do you figure out what to charge people for that kind of level of service? Um, you can, if Robbo, if you want to ask something yeah. related to what he was saying. No, no. Um, well, I was just going to backtrack on something you said in your answer there, just quickly. Was you mentioned that you didn't, you know, you don't hire a camera crew. And you said that yeah. might be to your detriment. Is that the way you see the industry a bit these days? It's more about how you look than how you sound? <laughs> the whole I, I show. Try, no, the no, YouTubeification I mean, of everything, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I, try, I, I try to think and work and live like a scientist a little bit. I try to get as much correct data as I can. And to just to put this in perspective, there's an app here called Jamcard. I love the guys who do that. And they host these jam jams and it's the best session musicians in LA in a circle and they play. I have no business as a guitarist to be in that room. I understand that. And that's fine. I, I can respect that. I can do a guitar recording at home for an album. That's fine. But these people are out of my league and that's totally fine. What I find is that when I'm in a songwriting room or with another producer, I, I'm sorry, this sounds arrogant, but I, I never feel that way. It's not I, arrogant. It's, it means I, that you, you, you feel confident that you're fulfilling this role in the best that can be done. I mean, it's, I don't think that's I, arrogant I do, at all. and I, I, I have the feeling, um, I've had a writing session with somebody who, who co-wrote the most streamed song in streaming history. That was a very weird experience because if this person would have been my student, this person would have not been one of my better students. And, mm -hmm. um, and so I, I understand that there, is, there are aspects of, of who I am that work for me and against me, and I'm, I'm happy to work on that. But I think when it comes to the, the actual writing or something, it's, it's at the end of the day, it's a matter of me being happy to go by myself for a cup of coffee and, and, and watch, a, watch a soccer game rather than having my face everywhere. And that doesn't help me to get in the interesting writer's rooms at the time. So I, we will see, you know, like talk to me again in five years. Yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting. But there is an equation, of, of course, in this business, and it's the 80-20 rule, uh, which is 20% uh, talent, 80% bullshit. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it seems to work for many people. That's Los Angeles in a nutshell. <laughs> I can think of some people that it's more like 99 to 1. To <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Uh, I have a friend who is uh, into magic, and he builds tricks for... Uh, the bigger magicians that you know around the world. And when I talked to him, it was really eye-opening because it's exactly the same as with music. There are people that are so respected in the industry, people that can do so much with, with nothing. And they are craftsmen that spent their entire life developing this craft. And then there are people that understood age 12 how important PR is. And so just like you have with music or in anything else in this world, there are like, you know, they just go, oh yeah, that guy, he's just okay. And, but that's, this person is really amazing. And I think it's the, it's the same everywhere. Having said that, I'm, I don't like, I don't like kind of like getting, 
I like to be responsible for my own fate. So there's plenty of stuff that I could have done better as well at all times. So I, I'm, I'm still learning and still growing. And again, if we talk again in five years, maybe you have my stupid face everywhere. I've totally sold out <laughs> and the music is garbage. <laughs> it's interesting you talk about that though, the people who, the PR from 11, et cetera. It's, it's a, the comparison between Madonna and Kate Bush. Um, hmm. And you can work out which one fits each category for yourself, but uh, I think mm -hmm. it's kind of obvious. Um, now, talking about uh, the new industry, things have certainly changed, and I'm sure that when you arrived in Los Angeles, you were probably working at like Sunset Sound and all these different places. Uh, but now you've set up at home, and I've seen your studio on uh, <laughs> Warren Hewitt's uh, video. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I was actually surprised, but I was intrigued as well because there's something I want to touch on in a moment. But firstly, um, what inspired you to set up at home? A couple of things. One thing is that I, you know, my life is very, very fluid and I like this flexibility. You know, when I, I, I can make choices where when I, when I wake up at 4.30 in the morning, I can be at work at 4.31. I don't like to waste energy. I don't want to be stuck in traffic. And I, I am very well aware of the issues with being here. And I, I had a really interesting talk with Warren after, uh, after our video. And he basically, he also, he, he made a point about the room, how this can be a ceiling for you in your career for writing sessions. Actually for work, it's totally fine because I found my workarounds. Um, so it's, it's the idea. I don't need to pay extra rent. I don't need to be stuck in traffic. I can do most things here. And for the longest time, I didn't treat the room. I didn't do anything to it because there was always the option we might be moving and then it's not the place where I can drill too many holes in the wall. But I have, um, I'm halfway there with having Hofer elements shipped from Germany. And so this room will look and sound a little better in, in, in like half a year or so when everything has arrived. What product is that? It's, it's Hofer. They built these mobile sound walls it's basically it's a it's like a system where you can pick the height of of a mobile wall and then it has these uh, empty slots where you can slot diffusers or absorbers in, wow. and so basically I'm going to have four pretty tall um, mobile walls which with diffusers and absorbers and I will get uh, bass traps and um, I, I just had to make a judgment call because one thing that really, really impacts my work is because my mixing has become so deep and I use so many instruments that I have made the call that I am buying this, uh, a new Mac Pro, maxed, almost maxed out. Uh, that's, that's quite the investment. And then nice. the next step is uh, sound treatment of this room. But to go back to your question, I really like it. I really like that I'm here. I like that artists are relaxed here. You wouldn't, you know, you can't produce a rock band here, but you can do all kinds of writing sessions. If, if you know, I mix an Intel commercial, you wouldn't necessarily bring the Intel people here. Um, you would go, you know, like go in a studio to play in a different studio. But for my work, for composition or something, this, this is absolutely works. And if you hear the songs and the stuff I recorded in my corridor, I mean, you know, some commercials that happened in this corridor, there's ADR and of course, a number of songs. So, what part of town are you? I'm in Toluca Lake. Oh yes, I have so several close. clients in your neighborhood. Yeah. Well, did you have to sell your your firstborn child to get the new Mac? Um, it's a very close. It's a very yes. close. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Situation. Expensive. I think here in Australia, I think I, I just on a whim, I 
thought, oh, let's just max one out and see what it comes to. And I'm pretty sure it was like $55,000 or something. It more, actually. Um, a friend of mine just maxed his out. It, it was going to cost him in Australian dollars $75,000. Yeah, but <laughs> you know, the, the thing, they, they, what they did is they, they built a base that is far superior than their base model. And so there's, there's just a financial sweet spot, which, which I think I figured out, which yeah. is for me, the 16 core. So my computer is going to be 10,000 bucks with education discount and post-production discount and this and that. And that is a lot of money for a computer. Mm. I have to say, I'm glad they got rid of the, uh, the little bucket. I'm, I'm glad they've gone back to the cheese grater. I have the little bucket. Have you? Yeah, I have yeah, the trash can. Uh, my, my, my old 2012 is on its last legs, but um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of money to upgrade. But you know, once you go Mac, yep. you never go back. Right? Well, I, I have my, a new my, 2018 Mac Mini fully loaded coming soon, which ain't no Mac Pro. But it is a Mac Pro from 2012. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, as easily right. as powerful, if not more, though, than the trash can. I mean, I'm not producing songs. I'm making radio imaging, to be fair. What I've found is that I, when I, when I, I started to change the way I mix, and it, it's, it's deeper and more buses, and I'm using a couple of plugins that are really draining the resources. And yeah. When I when I combine that with like I the the last project I worked on is 170 stereo tracks. That's uh, yeah. 35 wow. tracks of um, sound effects, but the rest is all virtual instruments. So oh, I have wow. a violin sample that is two gigs, just the one violin sample. Wow. And what what I found is that like I I wasn't able to to do things in one pass anymore. But every client now expects to sit behind you and say, Hey, can we try a different note on this violin? And they expect it to sound like a finished mix. So basically what I'm doing is I am paying extra money so I can be dumber in my workflow. Yeah. Wow. Right. That go. is amazing though. I mean, I, I remember even not even 10 years ago, people working at that level were building custom PCs. There was no yep. Mac yep. that had that level of horsepower, you know, that could I, do that. I don't like the slave slave thing. I, I, I don't like having two computers talking to each other. I yeah. like the idea of having one computer. And that's why... I know that there's other people who kind of like they have three PCs and they are less expensive than the right. one Mac Pro. But no, I don't blame you. I mean, I, I'm all for like a stream, a workflow that is making an investment in hardware that creates a workflow that is something you can count on. Yeah. And for, clearly for you, that is a massive problem solver. And that's going to make your clients, it's such a, oh man, it's such a, uh, what we say, creating a monster. In voiceover, it happens too. You know, the better you are at voice acting and the more efficient and the faster you turn around your work, guess how much faster you have to turn around your work. Yeah. So, yeah. well, it's interesting though. I mean, you, you know, I think we've always got to upskill. I mean, for me, you know, 30 years in radio imaging, when I first started out, I would never have considered that I would have to almost make music to make radio imaging. Whereas these days, pulling out a key, uh, a MIDI keyboard and some plug-in instruments is second nature because it's yep. just the way the industry's gone. So I think you've always got to upgrade skill-wise no matter what you're doing. Yes, and, and I mean, I think also that it's been, there's a, the client expectations and the changing to the last second isn't helping anybody. Um, <laughs> and I, I really don't, like there's so much, the, the problem with this is that other people's mismanagement, I can buffer now, which, you know, goes back to saving people's asses, which is, is a nice, 
nice niche or skill to have, but it's also this thing because people know you can do something, then it, it gets a little, yeah, it gets a little tricky. And you asked earlier about the the the, the pricing or the value of my work. And yeah. um, somebody really smart uh, taught me something when I, I was really burned out over a project. And she basically said to me, well, you know, this is the pricing and all of this, but that you actually care is not part of this. So basically you caring will not be paid for in any point of this. And so basically what she said is <laughs> like, for you caring, you need to pay yourself. You need to watch out for yourself for this. And so to kind of tie this in, one thing that I found that I'm doing is that... Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChompaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I try, to, I try to be constructive. I try to be helpful and I try to be useful in these situations, but I also start to set calmly uh, set more boundaries. Yes. Because yes. otherwise you will have these clients that for some reason always call on a Sunday afternoon and need it on a Sunday night. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I had one of those just this week, in fact, who um, a huge e-learning project um, asked for a quote at one o'clock in the afternoon. I was actually doing sessions, came back about five o'clock, put a quote together, sent the quote through, and I got a reply saying, Oh, the quote came in very late. We need. I was hoping we were going to be editing this today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm like, what? So I ended wow. up recording until I fell asleep in the studio and then came back in the morning and finished it. But uh, wow. yeah. it was ridiculous. In my business, yeah. we, I call it cheap, fast, or good. Yeah. You may yeah. pick two, and yeah. uh, we will be happy to help you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, cheap I, and good. Also, mm, not sure about that one, but anyway. Yeah, if, you, if you read the four-hour work week, there's a lot of hot air in that book, but there is uh, one thing that I, I had to learn where he says that if you offer a good service to a fair price, the customer is not king, the customer is on eye level with you. And so I, I'm trying to be as, as um, I don't know, as good as I possibly can be and reasonable with rates and all of this, but then I allow myself also to see the client on eye level. Mm. And... Um, I find sometimes that um, I've had a couple of projects where the actual physical limitations or like actual real life rules that have nothing to do with me. Like recently I worked on a project where there is a transformation and somebody wanted these really loud whoosh sounds on them while somebody is speaking and the message was really important. So, you know, you explain to the client, you say like this, like Red Bull, Netflix, anybody has delivery standards, they would flag this. And I can tell you the next round of notes when the producer comes in is they're going to flag this because this is masking that. 
And then basically the client doesn't listen. And so I, for myself, I'm trying to do this analogy that I'm not falling on somebody else's sword anymore. If there's a one-off emergency or something, I'm there to help you. But I cannot in the long run, when you make these calls, be you know, paying for that or be res- responsible for that. So I... Um, yeah, well, your my, lack of preparation is not yeah. my emergency. That's, That's right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm actually going to I'm going to use that as a quote because that is a very handy quote. That one. Yeah, yep. plenty of program directors <laughs> out there who could learn that lesson. Absolutely. I think there are many many people in various walks of life that could learn that lesson. But hey, uh, listen, we uh, we started down the uh, the tech side of things and then got diverted. But um, I can't speak to someone of your caliber and and as someone who's worked on Pro Tools for. 15, 20 years without asking you your favorite plugins. Give us a, f- your, a favorite instrument right. and, a, and a favorite plugin that you go to. First of all, I, 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 my deep hatred for Pro Tools uh, is, is a problem because I, I got called in for somebody to be asked. I, they asked me to mix Marvel trailers, which is really cool for somebody who's a producer first and a, a, a composer first and a, like Mixer and all the other things second. And um, yeah, because of my working on Logic, that mm. was out of the window really quickly. Mm. So I, I made somebody I know very happy when I passed this job on. <laughs> um, so I, I am, uh, yeah, I'm on, I'm on Logic. Um, right. You won't hold that against of, you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> there's a couple of plugins I really like. So I like the Sound Toys, Sound Toys stuff a lot. Basically all of it. And since I bought Echo Boy, it's on everything. And what I what I really like is that anything you run through anything sound toys is always warm and pleasant. And so I use the FabFilter Q3, which I love for surgical stuff. And then I go into something warm later. And uh, I also like the I have the Hofa plugins. I think they 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 sound amazing as well and they they have a IQ compressor that's intelligent and that does a lot of very cool things all by itself what else so where um, would you use that where would you use that compressor then uh, I started to browserize my mixes I don't know do, do I need to explain this on this yeah. podcast okay maybe yeah so Michael, just for those who are unaware yeah yeah so Michael Brower is a mixing engineer who has this like routing matrix kind of thing where where uh, instead of having one master bus he has five or six and different sections of the mix go into different compression. And then uh, Andrew Shapps is a guy that always unlinks his compressor, the stereo thing. And since I like such a simple thing, but such a huge difference for me. So I have, I do the browserizing thing with uh, the stereo compressors, but left and right are unlinked. And since I started doing that, I have a feeling that my, my music is just moving a little bit more and that it's not all compressed at the same point, but in a couple of different channels like this opens up the mix a lot and makes my music sound a lot nicer. And so for that, I use the the IQ compressor in a stereo setting and or unlinked. And this is the um, kind of thing where you can set a, 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 you know, sort of a set an average level, an RMS, and it will help ride that or no? I know it's, it's more like, um, I don't know exactly how they do it. It's kind of like, it it responds automatically differently to a bass than it would to a voice. Oh, I see. And so it, it's called IQ because it's kind of clever. So if you, you put something fast into with a fast transient, it automatically responds differently. And it has a really um, good auto attack and release yeah. like function. And and so I, I really like that. I, I love Altiverb. I've 
yeah, few set for my entire career. Um, what else? What about instruments? Recently, I I've used Hive on a lot of things. Hive Two just came out. Yuhi. Yeah, right. And and I I really like I really like that. Um, what I find is that a lot of times my um, there's people that tweak sounds forever. What I find is that I I usually when you hear something that sounds one sound like one sound in my case it's usually five sounds where I tweak the relationship more than the individual sounds. So if something has too much reverb out of like in the preset or something, I would go in and, and, and take care of that. But usually it's more like when you hear a keyboard sound or something like a pad in, in, in one of my tracks or in the film, it's more like, it sounds like one pad, but it's more like six or seven. So that's more, that's kind of my, the blendy, yeah. Blendy so is that, a, is that a delay trick? Is that what we're, where you're talking about the, um, the Echo Boy? Is that a trick with delay? That makes that work. No, I mean what I'm what I'm um, what I'm saying is that there's there's people who like to go really deep into the synthesizer and create their own sounds and and I I find that I go through presets and then usually only make one or two tweaks from a preset to take care of like if it has too much reverb or delay and so I'm kind of like not stuck with this and then I layer two three things on top of each other kind of like almost like you know like oh this has a really nice tail and I get a transient from somewhere else. And then I add a little bit of bottom end or something from here. And then it's three, four synthesizers. So it's very, in my case, it's very rare that, that I, what you perceive as one instrument really is one instrument. In most cases, it's like, it's eight instruments that you perceive as one. So you're almost creating textures. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's nice. Now I've got a question for you because I, um, was intrigued with your home setup, the way you monitor. You start off by using speakers and then you work your way through several sets of headphones. Yeah. So can you give anyone that's never seen this, can you just tell us exactly how you how you manage that? So because my room is not treated at this point, I work on SE or Monroe Sonic Eggs. Um, these are beautiful, yeah, beautiful speakers. Um, and I don't work very loud. And if I don't work very loud, it means that the um, that the room plays a little less of a role in this. And because if I crank it up, I know how my room sounds now, but I have like a B-flat standing wave in my room. So if I have a song that's in the key of B-flat, then I'm in trouble. <laughs> um, but I, I work basically on the on the rough ideas, on the composition in the room with my speakers. And... Then when it comes to the mixing stage or to get it in shape the first time, I basically go through these AKG headphones, the biodynamic headphones. And then further, if I'm close to a final mix, I have these GAH audio uh, in-ears that are molded to my ear that I specifically picked out so that they are useful for mixing as well. And they're insanely analytical and and crisp. And I mean, it's really difficult to find a room that sounds better and cleaner than these in-ears. And they have six little amps in them, so they go really low as well. And so if I've done one of these rounds, I have a pretty good idea how this will translate. Um, and that's, yeah. That's, that's really interesting because the JH uh, is Jerry Harvey, which is quite funny for yeah. anyone in Australia that's listening because Jerry Harvey owns a, a string of <laughs> department stores uh, selling furniture and electrical goods. But uh, the Jerry Harvey we're talking about is the guy that worked for Van Halen and uh, developed the in-ears for Alex Van Halen from memory. Is that, do you know the story behind them? 
I, I don't know. Well, I've heard it. Uh, what I can say about in-ears is that I, um, I went to an uh, in-ear Sherpa who has everything that is out on the market. And uh, the, I basically said, please don't tell me what something costs. Don't tell me the names. Just basically put them in. And she had this, high, this high-end player. And we just went through round and round of eliminating um, in-ears. And then there were two winners. One was the GH Audio V13, but not the one you can buy now, the old ones. You can still order them from them. They updated them. She thinks the older ones are better. And for me, I had to agree. And then there was a company, I forgot, 30-something. That's somebody who used to work at GH and that is constantly now in legal battle with them. And one pair was $1,300. The other pair was $3,000. And they almost sounded the same. So I went for the $1,300 dollar ones and they are they're just amazing yeah do you uh, do you have a problem with uh, occlusion with your in-ears or if you had them set that you don't get any of that you, you you know you get um you feel a little boxed in after a while this is not something that you can do i wouldn't listen to them for eight hours on a flight um it's they, they are intense but they're good for 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 20 minutes and because they are they're mean and analytical they really are um, like I, when I listen to big commercial mixes on them, things pop out that you, that I don't hear anywhere else. Yeah, wow. No, it's interesting. Yeah. The only reason I'm asking is because I know that Robert used he's had some in ears made, and uh, and because everyone complains continually when we're doing the show that my headphones are bleeding, um, I'm now wearing in ears. Yay! The- <laughs> Which one did you get? I got the Audio Technica E50s. The only thing I find, uh, if I use a bigger, the bigger sort of tip, and it gives a really tight seal, then I get that occlusion effect. My, mine are molded for me, so that's slightly different. And the the material, I don't know how they do this, but the material is is so um, the sound is so transparent. So yeah, you are you are kind of boxed in, but it's still like I played a show with them and I stood next to the drummer and I was just thinking the drums sound amazing uh, with me wearing these. It's just like I don't know how they do this, but I think it makes big, big difference if you get them molded for your ear. I, I agree totally. I, I think it's all about getting it molded. Because if not, they're not really that comfortable and you do want to take them out of your ears at some point. But when they're molded, they just sort of fit in there and, and it's not that they go unnoticed but they're not really that uncomfortable who's the company you, you you said you use them on a show so there's a company that makes a system for the in-ears where it it keeps track of all the relative positions of everybody so that if you turn around in a circle the bass player stays panned exactly where they are on the stage and you always get the right perspective of all the instruments of all the players because because they're just using a head transform, you know, like like yeah. something is like VR audio, ICG or something. It's a German company. Well, there's probably a couple, but it's a German company. It's really cool. But yeah, it's a, it, cool. it relies on in ears, and then but they're making the stereo image rotate around, almost like a VR thing, so that you feel like you're correct on stage. That's a very cool idea. Yeah. I, I think that the the in ears are a really cool thing when you have the budget for a proper sound crew and when you have mics set up on stage that feed into your in ears properly. Playing smaller shows, I find them a little troubling and 
problematic at times when you're not set up for it. So at some point, I, I, I mean, I didn't play a lot of shows and it wasn't like a big artist, but at some point I ran my own in-ear mix. I had a tiny microphone on stage and that ran into my audio interface that ran the tracks and then it ran into my ear. So I got a little bit more from, and I wasn't dependent on the like sound engineer catching everything. That's a great idea. Great idea. Yeah. Now, the next question is, uh, the other thing I noticed in your studio, and I don't know whether you're, you may be reluctant to talk about this, but I'm going to throw it at you anyway. Um, you're sitting on a reissue U67. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Very nice. Yes. Yeah. What, what are the benefits of that microphone in particular or spending that kind of money? So, um, so this is a $7,000 microphone. And the way this came about was that I was, uh, the work, the album I'm producing at the moment, uh, I went with the artist to Vintage King here in LA where they have all the microphones set up. And um, we basically just did a blind test what works for her. And um, I was really not hoping it would be the most expensive microphone in the shootout to win. <laughs> I was hoping for something else. Having said that, um, it was a pretty clear victory for this particular album as well. This, there's this idea of creating separation and like she's right next to you. And, and I just, in, in the Produce Like a Pro interview, I mentioned this, this one song. We have this song which is big drums, big guitars, and it's really like this world is coming to end. Everything is on fire and she's kind of in the middle and almost whispering. And the idea was that we wanted something that gets this 3D separation and all the detail and all of this. And we we tested the microphone with songs from the album and that that was the winner. Yeah, there's something interesting about that mic. I have one voice actor who uses that mic and I just can't talk him out of it. Um, like we did a little bit of ADR for the Stephen King project here with it. And it, it just sounds really good. I, um, I I have to say though, for those people listening to this and like, you know, there's always this thing, we talk so much about gear. I have done my entire career on a road K2. And I really appreciate, I I read in tape op, they had a review of the microphone in tape op. And the guy said, to be fair, I'm buying the microphone. I love it so much. But there are $400 microphones out there that, that are not that far away. And so what I'm saying is like your your livelihood and your happiness does not depend on you spending this crazy amount of money for a microphone. It was just a situation where uh, we could do it because of the project. And um, it, it really, really works for this project. Although I, I, I keep saying everywhere, I think... A really good investment is FabFilter Q3 or, or another EQ that does the same thing. And what I do with that a lot is that I find points in the voice that I find important and that is very often relatively low in the voice. And it, this may sound weird, especially with women. And um, and I, use, I, I find a point where I see a sweet spot and then I dynamically compress every single track differently, but at that spot with her voice. And when I do that and I treat the voice in a certain way, when, when this artist now sings through the Sennheiser handheld, it still sounds clean and it still sounds good because I'm taking care of the most vital masking. And so what I'm saying is like, a, like an hour on YouTube looking into masking and 
voice masking and all of this probably does as much difference for your sound than buying this microphone. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting well, you talk about the Broad K2 because uh, my sister-in-law's son um, is a songwriter and works with Robbie Williams. And Robbie would fly into Melbourne to uh, work on demos and stuff with Flynn. He called me one day and said, "Oh, can I borrow one of your microphones? It's like, no. Um, he said, because I've lost my, <laughs> lost my U87. And I need a microphone. And if, if you've got something with tubes in it, that'd be great. And I said, well, I haven't, but let me see if I can organize something. Anyway, we got him a Rode K2. And um, I heard the result of Robbie singing some demos on the K2. Sounded fantastic. Yep. I, I honestly, the, all the albums, everything I produced, I've been using that microphone. And like, if you have 700 bucks... Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, you're fine with that microphone. It totally works for me. I know you do produce voiceovers as well, because I've seen some of your yeah. work, and one in particular with that beautiful... Um, deep whispering kind of voice, the male voice you used on the, I don't even know what the commercial was, but it was a, a, a woman driving through the desert and a, a, oh, yeah, a yeah. pimped up uh, 2002 from memory. Um, yeah. So did you record that voice on the 67 or the K2? No, no, I, I did not record this. And um, yeah, if I would, that would have helped a lot um, because that there was not enough actual tone in there, which made my life as a composer really difficult. Because, you know, talk about masking before, because that guy's whispering, everything masks whispering. And um, I tried to get all the low resonance out of him in post-production. I did not record him, so I don't know what they what they used. Oh, interesting. Probably 416. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably. So what, what was the issue with his voice? Because I've heard it, it sounded fantastic, but... Um, no, no, so I mean, like, yeah, what, one thing is that... Um, you know, you want to do something like in, in music that has turmoil up and down that is interesting. And, and, and when a voice doesn't have a clear pitch center and when you whisper, it basically, you know, it's like almost white noise, which means you're across all the frequency spectrum. There's nothing that you can keep. Basically, anything is a masking issue. And so the, 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 the music is constantly kind of dancing around the fact that this guy is is whispering the way he is whispering. And that's not a recording thing. It's just like his voice sounds cool. I'm not saying that. It's just very tricky to compose to and to get this like intensity that I, I wanted to get. So how many voiceovers have you recorded, do you know? Uh, I want to say about, I don't know, maybe a little more than 100 or so. Um, I... Um, 
I, I don't know. I like I like doing it. I like the voice direct, like I, you know, a little bit of a storyteller, so I can help a little with the direction. That's also why some people like to record with me because then they sometimes they can skip the, you know, the director doesn't have to come and they can give me instructions. Um, a fair amount, I, I guess. I, I also um, I'm helping a couple of voiceover artists with their basically like you know people they record at home and they send it to me and I get it ready for delivery. Like on demand, or you just set up templates for them? No, I mean what I do is I um, I, I set that up fresh for every project. I find that there's usually a change or two that I do make in the vocal change. I chain. I build something for them. If it works again the next time, great. But um, yeah, it always changes a little bit. I guess it's also how hot the sick like like. A lot of people record at home without a solid preamp into an interface that is not super great. Even people that spend money, like good voiceover artists that spend money on a microphone. And so it, the, even though the same person in the same room delivers kind of what should be the same, very often it's not. Mm-hmm. Scarlet. <clears throat> Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that is actually one of my people actually does have the the like the cheapest of all the scarlets. The solo. Yeah. That's my world. <laughs> I'm quite familiar with all those uh sub two hundred dollar at all interfaces and in fact I'm getting ready to do like a monster shootout of like every audio interface that I have available to me, which ranges from like somewhere in that around there to like the Apollo yeah. and the Apogee. I don't have a Zen tour, but <laughs> the, well, <laughs> almost here's what everything I can, else. As as a uh somewhat of an antelope guy, um the, the new Zen tour is coming out mid uh March. And uh I don't know if they're listening to this. I don't know if I should say this or not. There might be a video with me. Uh, let's see. Maybe they find somebody better, but there might be a video with me when it comes out. <laughs> Will be now. <laughs> well, if you haven't had to take one to uh, Audio Rehab in Burbank, you're doing really good. So, um, uh, I um, I got one. It died in a week, and they sent me a replacement. But since then, I'm I'm happy and it works. Good. That just happens to be the shop that fixes them for the U.S. Oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah. I know a little bit about some of the. Some of the interesting things that happens with the antelope stuff, but that's, I call them the Maserati of Pro Audio because they are sexy and incredibly powerful, just maybe not always the most bulletproof in terms of reliability. Yeah. What, what I find is that, um, that there, are, there are interfaces, um, like if you have an Apogee Duet 2 and you're like a laptop producer, that's almost a perfect interface because they have the soft clipping and all of these things. And it's kind of built for somebody that even if they don't know anything about audio, you always get a result that is okay. I find with with Antelope, I really need to see how I drive the preamps and all of this. And when you do it right, you get better results, much better results. But it's also, it's kind of like it's a more involved kind of thing. It's in a way a little bit like going back to old older studio times, but also in a good way, because I, I like this interface has a sweet spot in the preamp, and when when you hit that sweet spot, the voice just sounds really good, even with their internal preamps. And, yeah, the uh, Apogee is a Ferrari, or is, is a Porsche, and that and the, and yours is the Ferrari. <laughs> it takes a yeah. little a little more driving skill, maybe to <laughs> to hang on to that thing. But it's it's a better it, it has it's a more musical device, I guess. You get. It's more creative a tool that you can uh, really 
do more with it. Sounds like to it, me. It also when it came out, when the Zen Tour came out, at that point there was nothing like it. Um, yeah. There's there's more like uh, Apogee built its own version of that now, and UAD has built its own version, but. When it came out for me, because of the way my studio is set up, I wanted a high-end desktop interface that can do all of these things. And so this was the perfect match for me. And um, I was at the Antelope stand at, at NAMM and I talked to them and they showed basically they showed me the brand new version that has come, the, the update, the Synergy Core that will come out in, in mid-March. And for a second, I was really scared because it doesn't have the uh, talkback button anymore. And I thought, oh no, they ruined it for me. But apparently, it still has talk back. So now I am very interested. <laughs> you know what? It's funny. Companies do that all the time. They uh, just they change a feature set for whatever reason. And it could be not affect 85, 90% of the users. But for the 10% that needed that thing, and yeah. they take it away. And not saying that they did. But they, if they do, it just, you, you just, you're scratching your head and you're going, this was... The, one of those things that made this do a job perfectly for me. And God darn it, why did you take it away? <laughs> Pro Tools used to have this thing where you could highlight two regions, one muted, the other one not muted. And you could hit mute, and it would mute the muted region and unmute the muted region. So it was great. It was like a toggle. It wasn't apparently their expected behavior, and they fixed it. So now when you hit mute, it leaves the one that's muted muted and mutes the one that's not muted. Oh. I was like, no, no, don't do that. Like, that was great before. <laughs> or at least give me the option. That's right. Let me choose. Because I record in my home and my recording booth is by corridor, there's already a, a, a level of kind of like low-tech fun. And so without having talk back, that of course means you, you run in the corridor, you yell at the singer, <laughs> <laughs> which, which kind of like makes this a, a really interesting experience. And uh, I worked with one singer that was so annoying that I felt like taking the, the, the antelope in the vocal booth and yell at her and through the talkback at the same time. And uh, it, but that never happened. Um, but uh, I mean, the talk, I think that, that there's, I don't know, I think most people don't need as many channels as a lot of these interfaces offer. And, uh, but the, I think the, the talkback, even in the, you know, in 2020, where, where everybody, you know, or a lot of people produce in, in a bedroom scenario is, is a relatively simple feature that is so, so useful. That, that's why we made the talkback plugin for Pro Tools. It was like, it seems to be left out quite a bit. It's true. What do you Perfect. think of uh, the the this uh, Billie Eilish? You know, and her brother got you know won these grant won these Grammys, and at least maybe it's because of the way the internet works now. I can't not stop seeing them show up everywhere on my in my YouTube feed yeah. and. And I mean, uh, they have like a media blitz, but you know they're I, I, sh they're showing off how they did this album literally in their bedroom on Logic. I think that the th there's good and bad about this. I think the good is that um, their mixes are not insanely bright, and as a producer, it's always difficult for me. I I want to have a build and something, but because everything is so bright from second one and so loud that you're basically boxing yourself in. So like that, these songs often sound very muffled till the chorus and all of this, it, it opens up mixing, which is nice, which I appreciate. I also, um, I don't know, read a couple of interviews with him and, he, you know, he seems to be a tinkerer and the, the album sounds good. I, I'm struggling a little bit with the shelf life here with the stuff. So like, 
like when I listen to to Bad Guy and the build up is really cool and it's produced really well and when I have to hear that really boring uh, little plinky synthesizer melody for the third time, eh. so ding, ding, I I don't know ding, ding, I ding, I, ding, ding, I, ding, ding. I yeah I think that um, I think it's nice that there's not 25 people behind that and that it's possible to do this. They are also it's not a committee cool. album. It's not yeah. like a Nashville thing. This is just literally a singer-songwriter almost situation. Do you know yeah. a fact I learned the other day, something that is behind that, 112 harmonies. Is that right? Yeah, it's right. I'll tell That's you another so crazy uh, yeah. fact about Bad Guy yeah. and, the, and the, the, uh, that weird synthesizer thing is the actually rhythm sound. our... The rhythm walk- sound. Yeah, it's our walk signal at the um, traffic yes. lights in Sydney. That's right. Yeah, and they heard it I for the first that. time and went, "That's weird." And they recorded it on the phone and then sampled it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean it's 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 cool, and I'm I really am happy when I I just like when things ring a little bit more true, and it's not committee music. So I I'm happy. It's of course a little bit this thing where like there, there's this monoculture thing going on a little bit at the moment. Where you know, like, give give three more women that space and with different sound and different things. And um, but no, I, I there's just much worse out there. So you know, the I, thing that I find a, a little bit uh, disappointing is the lack of understanding of the history. I think uh, a lot of the acts now, and I sound like an old fart, but uh, a lot of the acts now say, are living in their own. Hello, yeah, Boomer. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're living in okay, a. Okay, yeah, Exactly. <laughs> they're living in a kind of weird bubble uh, with no history attached to that bubble. Um, yeah. So they, they haven't got a reference to go back to anything. They're just creating this thing that. Uh, with the tools that are around them. And I, I don't know whether, you know, to me that doesn't yeah. work. I like things that are a bit more organic and have some kind of connection to something. You could also turn that around and say they're breaking all the rules too, though. So it just depends yeah. on what way you want to look at it. Yeah, it depends how you're breaking them. I think if it's breaking them for the betterment, then that's fine. But if it's it, taking it backwards, that's not so good. I, I think that writing generally, um, like the, the, the quality of the writing overall has decreased quite a bit. And I, I like groovy things. So I'm very open to hip hop. I love the way hip hop is produced as well. And I like to work with hip hop artists. But there is this thing where like, you know, you have two two chords and that's your album. And you listen to somebody that has a really cool flow and you're excited about the song, but 45 seconds in your board. And and um, I think that it's, it's time for um, to find a better hybrid of actual writing something that you could play on the piano with the sounds, with the coolness and all of this. And I am, yeah, it, it's otherwise it's, it's a very, it's a very sound effect heavy at the moment. And while I was working, like I had somebody mix a track I produced and uh, it was one of those tracks where I, you know, I don't know, like I wanted, it's a little too composery, maybe that track with like all these seven bar buildups and all these interesting things happening in, in, in the chords. And I'm talking to my sound engineer, we do a, a round of notes and he says, this is really interesting work day for him because he was mixing like this Atlanta hip hop artist and my song. And my song is was close to like Muse or something. And it has all these chord changes up and down. And he said, yeah, and the, the 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 track that this Atlanta rapper, he has an 808 on the first beat of the chorus, on the first bar of the chorus, and that's the only pitch information in the entire song. 
<laughs> and wow. I mean, this is like I'm not. I, this there's there's two sides to it. On the one hand, it's this is primal, it's direct, and that's interesting as well. There's something to it, and I also I also think that there's something kind of magical to find this flow when a voice and a rhythm interact without having big chords weighing it down. So I'm not saying that there's something wrong with it. What I'm saying is I think that there is a hybrid somewhere between where like real writers write stuff like this where we can have the best of both worlds and I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, well, I can. I, yesterday, I actually watched a video where they dissected uh, Stevie Wonder's Superstition uh, mm. playing the stems of that song and when you listen to that, that's this is the real McCoy. This is, you know, Stevie Wonder is a genius. Yeah. But you listen to how that thing, it, if you took each part and listened to it separately, you think, how's this going to work? But these guys are so good that this is all live to tape kind of stuff. It's just sensational. Yeah, yeah. I think that the, the, we need arcs at, at, on some level and we need to, um, because if it's just just the mechanics of it and just sound effects, then... Then, then it gets a, a little tricky. I have a couple of things that I've developed for myself over the years now that in the next album that are the album I'm doing at the moment that I'm excited about. That is kind of my personal answer to myself where I, uh, I use a lot of prepared pianos um, and I use a lot of very uh, short sounds, but still write actual harmonies and changes. And so it's a little bit because these sounds are very short and very percussive. You still you don't get this kind of like the sappy thick chord thing that sometimes weighs down like rhythmical music, but you still get interesting pitch information and sounds. And I don't know. Let's we'll talk. I again can't wait when I'm to done. hear. I'm, yeah, I'm fascinated. I can't wait to hear it. I I didn't know anything of you before this interview. This has been really, really, really interesting, and it makes me want to. Inspires me want to learn more about your work and listen to your music and. Um, and all that. So I'm, I'm really glad that uh, Andrew it was you, Andrew, right? It you, was, you yes. I, yeah. I, I was uh, hell bent on getting you, Lars, and I got <laughs> you. <laughs> Thank you. So, that, this has been fantastic. And um, yeah. I'm glad we. Um, I was persistent and got you. Uh, it's been a fascinating interview, and we should do this again and uh, enjoy that U67. Mm, indeed. Just don't give us your address, otherwise it won't be there in the morning. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this show was mixed by Voodoo Radio Imaging, edited by Andrew Peters, using Rode microphones and Source Connect Now. Tech support from George the Tech Whittem and supported by Harlan Hogan's VoiceOverEssentials.com, the home of the Portabooth Pro. Yeah,